We are live, Business and Buckets, episode 92, back in the Northwest, back in the 206, spent about a month in the 406 in the beautiful Montana, state of Montana with some good friends, family, got to see some family, you know, thanks to my best friend and his awesome wife, Kristen, uh, for hosting me for that long, dealing with me for that long. Uh, we had a lot of fun times on the lake. He's got a pontoon. Another friend has a pontoon. Uh, another one of our friends has a surfing boat. Got to go surfing again. Uh, the Flathead Lake is one of my favorite places to be. And it was just a good time. We had the Dirty 30 in Vegas. I broke that down. We're back in the studio, so we won't have that blown out video. Apologize for that. I got to get my traveling um, exposure and brightness figured out. Got to get better. I can't wait to get better. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was an awesome time. I saw some some friends I haven't seen in a long time in a 4th of July celebration. Uh, saw mom, saw grandma, and I'm getting ready to head to Wyoming next week. My first time in my hometown, Pinedale, Wyoming, since I want to say 2010, 2011. So it's been a hell of a long time, over a decade, going to go see some cousins, aunt, uncle. Uh, it's going to be a fun time. So uh we're going to dive right into it because I'm feeling good today, right? I got my my Avs Championship shirt on. This was my favorite shirt because it shows the players on the back. You get the whole squad because this could be a future dynasty team. This could be the next Tampa Bay Lightning. We won't put the cart before the horse, but I'm just saying the opportunity's there. Got my shirt right away after the championship. Put the QR code. So we're rocking Avalanche today. Um, but I'm looking good. You know, this is week nine of consistently working out fueled supplements has got me fired up, baby. Look good. Feel good. Do fucking good. And we're going to have a great pod today. So before we jump into the MMA world, let's talk the one and only sponsor here at business and buckets. And that is fueled supplements. So it's, it's summertime, it, it, you know, we're right in the midst of summer, which means less Less clothing and bathing suit days on the water. I just had a lot of those. Summertime will be here. Uh, summertime is in the thick of things. So we got to get our summertime shine with Fueled Supplements, Advanced Thermogenic, and Feel Good Formula, Showtime. Now, show, Showtime contains the only two clinically tested and patented ingredients scientifically proven to enhance thermogenesis. So besides fat burning, Showtime also increases energy. It boosts your mood, provides a sense of euphoria, suppresses appetite, enhances mental clarity, focus, and concentration. So for optimal results, stack with counterattack and get yours at fueledsupplements.com. Use my promotion code buckets and save 15% while you're doing it. Promotion code buckets, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Now, you know, like I said, week eight, week nine, working out consistently. Uh, I've been using fuel supplements to my advantage. I'm using Showtime, uh, trying to get that fat burner going. I'm also using protein, daily multivitamin, um, athletic greens. So it's like your green formula to get your green supplemented. I got the whole shebang and I'm loving it. I'm feeling good. My workouts are better. Um, you know, I'm heading to the desert and all my friends are shredded with six packs. So I got to get my ish together. I'm feeling good going to get back into jujitsu so I could speak into it better when we're MMA only. I think I got a name. I'm about to do some branding. Got to do some thoughts after Wyoming. It's serious podcast time. Figure out the future, get the move to Arizona figured out, get rid of all the shit I don't need. 
Um, and you guys will be a part of the journey. So, so I'm super excited. And thanks again to Fueled Supplements. Now, let's talk MMA because there has been some fights booked. Golly, there's been some fights booked. We got Brendan Allen versus Christoph Jocko. Brendan Allen, young stud, been up, had a couple down, changed weight, short notice, came back. He's on a winning track again, and he is active. He wants to move up the rankings, and Christoph Jocko is going to be a great opponent for him. And we had uh, Caitlin Chukagian, Chukagian step out of a Manon Firo fight. Jessica Andrade steps in. Well, Andrade gets out. Caitlin says, you know what? I'll short notice, get booked in that fight again. Huge step for Manone, a number one contender. She wins this fight. Fiero's right in the, in the mix for the title. And then Frankie Edgar eyeing retirement. Uh, he wants to fight in MSG. One more fight. He wants Dominic Cruz. Um, obviously, Dominic's booked with, Paige, or with uh, Cheeto Vera. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But, but Frankie Edgar's about ready to call it a career. One hell of a career. You know, he, he crushed my dreams as a uh, BJ Penn fan. That was kind of the falling of BJ Penn. But Frankie, what a tank. What a gas tank, man. Uh, what a wrestler. It'll be exciting to see him. One more dance in MSG. UFC, you've got to make it happen. And then some shit went down the other day. It's Thursday, early afternoon here. Beautiful day in the Northwest. Every day is like 75, 80, and sunny. You can't beat it. But, uh, yeah, shit went down. I mean... Um, Diaz has been talking about being caught up with the UFC and Dana White says, all right, well, if you want to do it your way, we're going to get you a Chimaev. If you follow the dance a little bit, you could potentially get a better opponent. I know Dustin Poirier had been looking for fights. I wanted that fight Poirier Diaz. I think that'd be a little bit more fun, but Chimaev Diaz is official UFC 279 on September 10th. And this will be Diaz's last fight in the UFC. You know, this could be a fun major underdog prop bet just to have fun with. I don't know if Diaz is going to take this seriously. I think he wants to fight Jake Paul or fight somewhere else. I'm not too sure. Nobody knows what Nick or Nate Diaz are fucking thinking. So, uh, but Chemayev, it's going down. It's official UFC 279. And then UFC, uh, UFC 280 officially in fight Island Abu Dhabi. And we're looking for some headliners. Um, the Aljamain Sterling versus TJ Dillashaw. What a fucking fight that's going to be. Had it been official until yesterday, officially on UFC 280 as the co-main, uh, you have the uh, Charles Oliveira versus Islam Makachev fight as the main event. I mean, we, we had thought that that might be the fight. What a fucking fight that's going to be. Islam really going to get the real deal test here. And Charles, who's just gone through anyone who's anyone uh, looking to continue his reign and get his rights to the belt, even though I think the, the weigh-in shit was bullshit and it is still his belt. Um, but let's add some spice to the card. The Sugar Show, Sean O'Malley taking on Pewter Yan, October 22nd, Fight Island. Are you kidding me? He goes from a, a accidental eye poke, no contest to Pedro Munoz. And he says, you know what? He had been talking on his podcast about how he wants this specific fight. He's been wanting this fight. He says, I'm going to meet with Dana. I'm going to meet with the crew. If we get this fight, you guys are going to be fucking stoked. And boy, are we. I have goosebumps thinking about it. When this shit came across on my Bleacher Report notification, my heart sunk. I had to watch the RCDC interview right away because woo-wee. 
do we get to see what the Sugar Show can do? The 406 native from Helena, Montana, in the big dance, fighting the former champion, number one contender. I mean, golly, this is going to be a fun fight. And Sean had talked about wanting to fight Pewter, you know, in the next few years, potentially in Russia. And he's really enhanced. And I think that Pedro Munoz fight, whether you want to give the first round to Pedro like the judges did or not, he has confidence. You can see he wants something more. He felt un uh, incomplete after that fight. He wants something more, and he feels like he could reach the potential of the top dogs. And he has talked about Conor McGregor being his number one like influence into the UFC. And why not? He's getting paid a lot of money and doing it right. And at this age, Sean O'Malley is 27 years old. It was about the exact same age that Conor McGregor fought Jose Aldo and fucking put his lights out, called his shot, became the man, really took over the UFC, and Sean is right on that path. You beat Pewter Jan. You're fighting the winner of Aljamain, TJ Dillashaw. You're right there in the bantamweight division at 27, you know, a young 28 years old. He is not even in his fighting prime yet. Um, the Sugar Show full force. The haters about to learn. And how do I see that fight playing out? We're just going to have to wait and make sure it gets official. It's verbally agreed upon right now and gets closer to that date. That'll be right before I move to Phoenix. It'll probably be the weekend. I'll have a fucking rager going away party. UFC 280 fight fucking Island. I can't believe it. Can't wait. And, uh, you know, we'll just say the big discussion. It'll be length, speed and power. And can Sean wrestle and grapple? That's what people are going to talk about. Those are the headlines. But UFC, the matchmakers weren't done. I don't know if they had a good night or what, but they said, you know what? We're going to add Benil Dariush versus Matush, Mateush Gamrot, and we're going to fucking add it to 280. I mean, Dariush has been waiting to fight. He was supposed to fight Islam. I was jacked about that fight. Dariush is one of the most underrated fighters in the UFC. Mateusz Gamrot with an amazing win uh, um, recently in the, in the main event. If it was a three-round fight, who knows? But this is huge. The winner of this has the opportunity to fight the winner for the title as well. So lightweight action, bantamweight action, the best divisions in the UFC, fucking fight island, and the card's barely booked. Let's fucking go. Now... Long Island, eight fighters received $50,000 bonus. The card was great. The action was great. UFC feeling good. They're making matches. They're paying fighters. You love to see it. Elsewhere, we have the Dana White Contender Series resuming this Tuesday. Um, I've watched some of the Dana White Contender Series, but the Contender Series fighters become really good in the UFC. It's like the breeding grounds, like the ultimate fighter. I'm stoked. I'm going to be tuning in every Tuesday, and we'll be talking about it right here on business and buckets. Today's Thursday. Tomorrow, Friday, I'm back in action. I saw UFC 276. I'm going to witness my first Bellator live. Bellator 283 in the Emerald Queen Casino. Tacoma, Washington. Um, I, I That's where I placed my bets at the MGM Sportsbook there. Uh, so I'm going to put some bets on this. Put some UFC bets down. I'll tweet my picks. Tweet my, tweet my bets. I'm fired up because this is a sweet card. I'm not the most educated Bellator, um, you know, analyst per se. I'm trying to get into it more, but there's some big names. We have Douglas Lima, one of the OG uh, champions. He's on a skid. He's trying to have a little renaissance here, fighting a very dangerous Jason Jackson in the main event. 
We have another Nurmagomedov in action. Usman Nurmagomedov versus Chris Gonzalez. We have Mukhamed Berkhamov, who's 15-1 in action. You have Sidney Outlaw versus Tofik Musayev. That's going to be an insane fucking fight. We have Romero Cotton and Dalton Rosta, both young prospects undefeated. And then Godzi Rabadanov versus Bobby King. And Kai Kamaka III versus Ahmed Magomedov. I've never been to an event there at the new EQC. Excited to see how that was. When I went and watched Joe Rogan in Vegas do his comedy skit the night before UFC 276, it was just cool seeing the MGM, how that's done. I've never been to an event there. Lots of big boxing, lots of history in that event and venue, and I felt it. So I'm interested to see what the vibe is like at the new EQC, how many fans show up for Bellator, what the following's really like, and how the action goes down, and if it is worth investing time in to breaking that ish down. So let's talk the past fight night. I went 6-5 and five in my picks. I didn't get any bets in. In Montana, they have little kiosks you could put bets in, but you have to be outside the reservation. We were in the reservation. One of my good friends, Kyron, had his little baby boy cruise first birthday. That's a priority, so I didn't make it happen. Um, but I felt like if I would have, I would have been damn close. If not, I think I would have won some cheddar because I picked some dogs. I probably would have been a dog parlay. I, I picked some fights that not a lot of people were thinking, and the fights I was confident in, they won. Um, but a fight we didn't break down. How about the win by Dustin Stoltzfus um, fighting Grant? I mean, Dwight Grant with the power. He tired out his typical. Dustin put on a show. Bravo, Mr. Stoltzfus. In the prelims, Emily Ducati with a unanimous decision over Jessica Penne. Uh, this started my day 0-1, but I wouldn't have been confident enough to put a, a, a parlay in with Penne. Uh, but this was a dominant fight, Budicate. I mean, she was landing calf kicks with volume. Penne's calf by the second round, noticeable swelling, and was barely fighting on one leg. But Penne, she's tough as it comes. I mean, she's an OG in the women's UFC. She has paved the path for somebody like Emily. But um, she did land some big shots, fighting with one leg, trying to find some action. I thought she should have been a little bit more aggressive early on. I think she thought she could have handled the calf kicks better and realized that she couldn't. Probably the first time she's suffered, you know, serious calf kicks. Um, I thought she needed to go for the takedown. She had some half-assed attempts. I would have looked for the takedown early if I was her, but she did try. She was 0 of 8, although probably half of those were half-assed foot sweep attempts, things like that when she was down to one leg. Um, but there wasn't a lot of opportunity for her to gain momentum. Ducate kind of played a, a, a safe, you know, fight. She, she looked for the leg kick. She tried to keep her at range, and it worked well. Um, but how about the former Invicta champion, Emily looking like a future uh, contender in the strawweight division, the stack division. I'm excited to see what her next couple fights look like. Now, statistically, Emily landed 117 and 116 significant strikes compared to uh, Penne's 68 total and 63 significant strikes. Now, Emily is on a four-fight winning streak, with this being her first win in the UFC in her debut um, after winning the Strawweight Invicta Championship. She does move into the rankings, snags Penne's spot at number 14, and Penne starts a new losing streak and moves out of the top 15 rankings. Now, what's next? 
How about Verna Jandaroba for Emily, a little grappler, a, a, a striker, someone who's willing to, to, to start a fight? Uh, that would be a great test and matchup for her. And how about uh, Jessica taking on Sam Hughes? That would be a good matchup as she you know, is getting towards the end of her career, but she still looked like she wanted it. She had that big suspension. She's in action. I'm sure she'll have a few more UFC fights depending on her contract. And then we had the big dogs. Dustin Jacoby with a first-round knockout over Daun Jung, which was a performance of the night, a 50K payout by Dustin Jacoby. And you got to love Jacoby, his story, out of this UFC, out of fighting, back into the UFC. Now he's on a run. And then round one, boy, did this look like it was going to be the fight that we expected, a back-and-forth affair. But then Dustin lands a massive right hand right behind the ear, right in the honey hole. Puts Jung down on the canvas. His eyes rolled back. He was technically knocked out, in my opinion. He did bounce back up. You know, he, he, he was wobbling on his feet. I thought it was a good ref stoppage. Some people might think that's a controversial one, as he did get back up. But I think it was good because it just saved him some big damage, some big ground and pound shots. Um, it would have been unnecessary damage for Jung, a young fighter, not even in his prime. This guy is going to be dangerous. Even Dustin um, gave him, you know accolades on that but Dustin gets the job done I'm one and one on the day what a fucking knockout Dustin landed 14 total insignificant shots with that knockdown to get the fight finish and Jung had 14 total insignificant as well now Jung starts a new losing streak which does end his two fight winning streak even though he had that no contest um, he is four one and one in the UFC but a ton of wins you know, before that, no contest and other promotions as well. And Dustin extends his winning streak to four and moves up one spot in the rankings to number 14. So I'm just thinking, where is Dustin going to go now? How about Johnny Walker? Maybe put him really far up there. Give him Dominic Reyes. Those fights make sense. Dominic on a slide, Johnny on a slide. Guys that were very hyped up versus a guy, you know, at the last end of his career looking for a run. Wins here really will boost him up in the rankings, and I'm sure Dustin's not going to shy away. Now, for Jung, I would like him to see him take on Khalil Roundtree or Maxim Grishin. Those would be fun fights. The light heavyweight division's got some young guys, got some talent, and uh, a lot of them finish like this one with a nasty knockout. Then we had the short-notice fight, Bill Algeo with a second-round TKO over Herbert Burns, another performance of the night, another 50K. Thank you, Dana White. But this fight, Herbert came out hot. You know, he wanted to come in. He had Bill up against the cage. They were in scrambling situations. He wanted to get the submission. His BJJ is nasty. He had a very deep triangle attempt in. And was even landing shots with Algeo in the triangle. He was hammer fist down on his back. And I thought this was it. I was like, okay, I picked Herbert. Let's go. I'm all about it. Um, it looked to be over early. But Algeo, with about two minutes left in the round, somehow was able to get out. I'm still not too sure how he did it. Um, he was able to then, with Herbert on his back, land some big hammer fists. And, Herbert, uh, and almost finished Herbert at the end of the round. So it went from... Looks like Herbert's got the, the triangle in to, oh, shit, Bill might finish him. So we're interested to see how round two goes. And a lot of people in the, the analyst boost were saying that they thought Herbert was gassed. 
but apparently his knee gave out. He was kind of flopping around. His brother Gilbert, you know, gave him a big coaching moment in the corner. He couldn't push, push through it. After the fight, he said, my knee gave out. I apologize. He already is recovering from a knee surgery. Maybe he has to have another one. So kind of like the Pedro Munoz, we don't really know what's going on. Um, but uh, either way, good night for Algeo. He lands 81 total and 28 significant strikes with the takedown compared to Herbert's 18 total and 10 significant strikes with the takedown and two submission attempts of his own. So Bill is now on a two-fight winning streak all in 2022. This was his first fight in front of the fans. A lot of the new UFC fighters, they were dealing with the apex. They were dealing with COVID situations. So a lot of them first time fighting in front of the fans. What a moment for him. And Herbert is on a two-fight losing streak and hasn't won since June of 2020. So I would love to see Bill take on Julian Arosa. I think that would be a great matchup. While Herbert could take on Tucker Lutz, that would be fun as well. And then the fight that I was probably the most stoked for in the great bantamweight division, Ricky Simone with a second-round submission over Jack Shore. Another performance of the night. Ricky, give me 50K. Thank you, Dana White. And uh, like I said, I was fired up for this fight. I was shocked it was on the prelims. But how about Ricky, man? He looked pretty dominant. He pushed the pace like he always does in round one. He is so thick for the bantamweight division. Um, and Jack landed some shots. He showed off some very impressive takedown defense because he was up against the cage against a very good wrestler and grappler. When he did have his moments in space, he was landing nice combos. So you could see the skill of Jack. And uh, not many people could keep uh, the takedowns away um, like Jack did in round one against Simone. But round two, just like round one, was mostly spent up against the cage, which that's going to wear on you. That's hard to win a fight if you're short, just trying to defend the takedown and have Ricky, who's, you know, I'm sure he's walking around at least 160 in the fight. He's leaning on you. Um, he did eventually pick Jack up, had a nice slam right in his corner. Uh, it looked like it definitely hurt if you're Jack. And um, then he, he, he gets out of, uh, out of that situation. I think Jack somehow got back up. But then they got off against the cage, and Ricky lands a big shot, knocks Jack, Jack down, and then gets an arm triangle to finish the fight. And I'm going bonkers. I can't believe it. Ricky's on a tear, and nobody wants to fuck with Ricky at this point. Um, Jack Shore's first loss. Ricky lands 46 total and 25 significant strikes with two takedowns, although it was eight attempts, so bravo to Jack there. And he also had that knockdown and submission attempt compared to Jack's 27 total and 19 significant strikes. Now, Ricky's on a five-fight winning streak. He moves up two spots in the rankings to number 11, while Jack suffers that first loss, only 27 years old. Both of these fighters very young. He is 5-1 and one in the UFC, but he does move down one spot, stays in the rankings at number 15. So I would love to see Ricky take on the winner of Song Yadong and Corey Sanhagen. Um, I think that'd be perfect. I don't know if they'll allow that to happen. So if not, how about maybe Frankie Edgar's retirement fight? And for Jack Shore, I would love to see him fight anybody in the rankings, uh, but he might fight somebody right outside the rankings. How about somebody such as, um, oh, Lee, why am I blinking on his name? Adrian Yanez, who's been calling for the sugar show. Either way, there's not a lack of fights in the bantamweight division. Watching Ricky, watching Jack Shore, you see him on a card, make sure to tune in. 
I mean, let's let's check Ricky's age. I think he's 28. 29 years old, almost 30 this August. So he's literally entering, scratching the surface on his prime. Tune the fuck in. And then in the prelim main event, we had Punahili Soriano with a second round TKO over Dalcha Lungambula, which is a performance of the night. 50K, slap it for Puna. And the Ricky Simone fight, I took the L. I would not have had the confidence to put that in any parlay. I might have put an underdog in the underdog parlay, which I think Rick, oh, I can't remember. I think Jack was probably the underdog. But here, I was, you know, if I had a parlay, this would have been a huge fight. I would have for sure picked Puna. And uh, this this first round was tight as it gets. I mean, it was probably won, as, won by Dolce. He had good shots. He had success taking down Soriano, which was a big surprise to me. And Soriano being in a desperate need of a win coming from the Contender Series, it, you know, it wasn't looking good as the takedowns, uh, a big muscular guy like that would definitely wear on you, seem to tire you out. So I was really interesting to see how he would come out round two. Well, early in round two, he lands, I mean, the Puna power. This is why I picked this guy. He lands a massive left, left hand, sits Dolce down, and he followed it up with some nasty ground and pound for the finish. And, you know, at this point, if I was parlaying, I'm pretty sure this would be a huge fight. I was feeling good. I'm feeling good for my picks. And I feel good for Puna. I like him. He's well-rounded. Dolce's a tough veteran. Huge, huge finish for Puna. Statistically, it only took Puna 19 total and 17 significant strikes with that knockdown compared to Dolce's 17 total and 11 significant strikes with two takedowns. Now, Puna starts a new winning streak after that two-fight losing streak. And Dolce lands, or um, is now extends his fight uh, losing streak to three fights. He is two and four in the UFC. How about this? What's next? How about Puna versus Andre Petrosky, Ultimate Fighter alum, or Jun Young Park? Those would seem to be the right level of uh, competition. A good step up for him. And for Dolce, how about Jordan Wright? Either way, both these fighters, same thing. You see him on a on a card. Tune the fuck in. Feeling it today. I'm fucking feeling it. I still can't believe UFC 280. I'm fucking hyped. So let's talk about the main card. This fight went exactly the way I expected it. I thought I was going to see it at UFC 276 in person. It would have been sweet to watch Misha Tate in action. But Lauren Murphy with a unanimous decision over Misha Tate. And this was absolutely no surprise to me. I would have hammered Lauren Murphy on the underdog. I can't believe she was the underdog. I know this is Misha's new weight. She looks good. She's cutting weight. She's doing her thing, but she's been inactive. And Lauren has been fighting top dogs and looking pretty good while doing it. Even the Valentina fight where she didn't look as good. She had some, some sickness she didn't know about. It affected her. Um, she's the real deal. She's older, but she's fucking durable and tough and big for this weight class. And Lauren showed off her strength. She showed off her power. She outdueled Misha, where Misha was able to show her determination, but she was just outclassed by Lauren. I mean, Lauren showed Tate how to win a fight like Tate has done many, many times before and what brought her to be a UFC champion. Statistically, Lauren landed 128 total and 102 significant strikes with two takedowns. You know, the determination by Misha was six attempts. She battled. 
And Misha landed 121 total and 85 significant strikes with zero takedowns, although she attempted seven. She's got to get those takedowns. She's got to wear on you. Lauren did it better. She, she, she aced her game plan better than Misha did. And the announcers were even talking about, how about Misha's heart, though? I mean, we all know she's got it. She won Celebrity Big Brother. Whether you watch Big Brother or not, or you think I'm an idiot for watching it, that's tough. It's not an easy environment. She outlasted people. She's done it in her UFC career. She's a mother. She does it everywhere she goes. And um, the, the announcers are talking about how impressive is it for her, a veteran that's been through anywhere. I mean, if she win, goes and fights Valentina and beats her, that could be the next best thing. But the odds of that happening, and I'm sure she's got to be somewhat realistic with herself, are very slim. But she doesn't really have anything to prove. Lauren was wiping the mat with her the first round and a half. She could have easily given up. She battled. She got some. She she got some takedown defense. Uh, def takedowns defended. She had some strikes of her own, and she kept fucking going. That's why you gotta love Misha Tate, and that's why again she's a former UFC champion, one of the best to do it. Now, when we look at it, Lauren starts a new winning streak after you know losing to the almighty Valentina. The Bullet, Shevchenko, and she stays at number three in the rankings. Now, Amisha, she extends her losing streak to two. One was at strawweight, the other at flyweight in her debut against Lauren. She does stay in the bantamweight rankings and moves down three spots to number 13. So it's going to be interesting to see what Misha does from here. I'd assume she wants to fight. She's not that old, right? She's put all this time to come back. Why quit now after a loss? I'd assume she fights at flyweight again. And if she does, how about Jennifer Maya? That would be a fun fucking fight. But if she does go back to bantamweight, she doesn't want to cut. I mean, she talked about how easy it was, how good she feels, how much better her team is, nutrition. So I'd assume she stays at flyweight. But if she does go to bantamweight, Penny Kianzad would be a great foe. Either way, Misha Tate's in the octagon. We're all tuning in. I don't need to tell you that. And how about for Lauren? I'd say Lauren versus Talia Santos. The winner of that gets the title shot. I know Valentina's already in for it. That's the fight to make, and I'm sure we'll see that booked up um, sooner than later. And another fucking banger. We had Shane Burgos, always a banger, with the majority decision over Charles Jordan. There was rumored this would go to 276. I know I talked about it a lot. I wish it did, but still a great fight nonetheless. And, you know, it was definitely back and forth. I was surprised on how Charles was able to take shots and continue to push the pace because when Shane is landing shots, he's a big guy. It's usually sitting motherfuckers down. So I felt like the biggest thing for me on a takeaway is learning that Charles, he could hang with the boys. He's got a chin and he could battle in these fights and he, and he has the cardio to go to go a full three rounds. Um, and even after being taken down and all that top time, he still was coming at you. He was still the Charles Jordan that we expect. Shane definitely had the bigger moment in the fight in round one. He got that takedown, had control time, had the body triangle, deep fucking body triangle. Most people get a body triangle like that on you. You're gassed for the rest of the fight. So again, bravo to Charles and his endurance. Um, but he had a submission attempt from, from um, the body triangle as well. Didn't get it. He got another takedown in round two, had some control time, but didn't do shit with it. I feel like he was tired, more tired than Charles. Just all that effort in the body triangle, the submission effort, all that top time. And um, Charles got out. He was able to land some strikes. 
And I thought he he was able to pull that that round away, let alone in round three, he dominated. So I had Charles winning rounds two and three, but the judges having round two as a 10-8 round, that shit's out of control. He landed four strikes with the takedown and control time. Um, I'm not sure exactly how many strikes Charles landed in round two, but rewatch the tape. I thought Charles won this fight, but either way, I would have had Shane on a parlay. I didn't win any money. I got the pick right. It is what it is. That's the world of MMA for you, especially in the UFC. Don't let it go to the judges. Um, statistically, Shane landed 67 total and 42 significant strikes with two takedowns in seven attempts. Charles fucking battled. He earned a lot of respect from me. And uh, Shane did have three submission attempts as well. Now, Charles landed 161 total and 113 significant strikes. So you can see the volume there. You know, Charles was killing it. So Charles starts a new losing streak and Shane extends his winning streak to two. And he stays at number 14 in the rankings. I would love to see next Shane Burgos, Dan Ige, Sean Shelby, Dana White make it happen. That would be bonkers. I mean, we've seen Shane versus Emmett. I can't even remember who he fought after that. But his fights have been fucking nuts. And him versus Dan Ige would be legit. And for Charles, I would love to see him taking on Billy Quarantillo. I would love to see those two square up. That would be a fun stylistic battle. But anytime Charles is on a fucking UFC card, tune in because he is going to be the next great Canadian fighter. All those good fights. And then we had this fucking fight. I've been waiting for Matt Schnell to get in the octagon too goddamn long. Uh, he was going to fight Alex Prez like three times. Uh, he was an underdog plus something. I tried to put $100 on him. But here he gets a second round submission over Sue Maderhi. Fight of the night, 50K. Earned it. Get it. Cash it. But what a crazy fucking fight. I mean, round one, both fighters had their moments. Big shots. Sue was definitely using his length uh, to his advantage. But Matt was eating some of those shots. He was scrappy. He had some quick uh, combos. He got a takedown. And in round two, Matt went from damn near being finished to fighting back, getting a triangle choke, synced it in. He gets the finish. I mean, round two was this. Scramble, Matt's on top. Scramble, Sue's on top. Scramble, fucking Sue's beating you up. Scramble, boom, triangle, fight win. I mean... You, you couldn't even talk when you're, you're just... I, I remember Daniel Corbera was like, oh my... He's just like, holy shit, this fight. I can't believe what I'm seeing. I mean, this is what makes flyweight so fun. It's like a, an intense state wrestling match. They were just everywhere. The strikes, you know, they don't sit someone down and knock them out very often, but golly, they can be goddamn good fights. And this was fight of the night. One of the better fights of the year. Um... Statistically, Schnell landed 79 total and 47 significant strikes with two takedowns and two submission attempts and a reversal, while Sue landed 67 total, 58 significant with a knockdown and two reversals of his own. And Sue looked good. Again, another guy that earned more clout in my book. I picked Schnell. I would have had him on a parlay. Again, that's why I feel pretty goddamn good. I would have won some cash money, and I'm a little butthurt I didn't get the bets in. But... Uh, Schnell starts a new winning streak. He stays at number eight in the rankings while Sue has his three fight winning streak come to an end and he stays at number 12 in the rankings. What's next? Well, Schnell ca called out Mathus Nicolau. I think that would be the fight to make. So let let's just give him what he wants. 
And for Sue, how about Tim Elliott or Jeff Molina? Those would be great matchups, but there's a lot of youth in the flyweight division. Before Henry had been in there, they were talking about cutting it out. Keep that shit going. These fighters are must-see TV. And in the co-main, Lee Jingliang, second-round knockout over Muslim Salikov. Another performance of the night, 50K, cash that out. This was another fight, I believe, an underdog that I had picked. I got the win, and like I said, I would have probably at least made a G on a parlay. Come on, now. Um, but much like the other fights, round one was close. Back and forth affair. Both guys landing some shots. Both guys getting takedowns. But round two, boy, Lee was able to get the early no uh, knockout with just a nice straight one-two. The one, you know, pushing Muslim back. I think it hit his hand. It didn't land. But that loopy right, I mean, it was a, whew, a huge loopy right that you don't even think is going to hit you. Well, it landed clean, and it dropped his ass. Lee landed some more shots. He got the big-time finish. Huge, huge win after the embarrassment of the uh, Kamzat Chemayev fight. And Lee's the real deal. I knew that. Um, if you're a UFC fan, you probably know that now. Muslim's the real deal as well. Uh, but Lee, he could fight everywhere. He landed 40 total and 38 significant strikes. Had the takedown and a knockdown. While Muslim landed 33 total and 23 significant strikes. With the takedown and four attempts, Lee with some good takedown defense. You know he's been working on that since fighting Shemaev. So Lee starts a new winning streak and stays at number 14 in the rankings. Muslim has his five-fight winning streak come to an end. He is 5-2 and two in the UFC. But I would love to see me some Wonder Boy, Wonder Boy versus Lee. Wonder Boy wants a striker. Here you go. Here's China's best. Or how about Michael Chiesa? He hasn't been active lately. I'm not too sure if he wants to fight up. I'm sure he does at this point in his career. Either way, for fight fans, that would be a great fight to make. While Muslim could take on Tim Means or Kalen Williams, either of those would be great. I'm sure Muslim will be back stronger than ever. And then we had... I, I said this was the co-main. This was the co-main. This was a deep fight night card. I love when they're not in the apex. You get fans. You, you get good shows. This fight, we had Amanda Lemos with a second-round submission over Michelle Watterson-Gomez. Performance of the night, another 50K. Thank you. And this is a fight I picked wrong, but I was not confident in it. I, I wasn't on the confident scale enough I would put her in a parlay. Maybe not. But uh, I was pumped. The Karate Hottie came out looking good in the first round. She was real, really showcasing her own abilities. She even got a takedown. I thought she looked to be in the best shape she's ever been in. And she was definitely the cleaner striker. Although, you know, Lemos, she does have that power advantage. The Karate Hottie was looking good in here. Round two, though, things didn't last long. Lemos was able to get in a deep, I mean, deep guillotine choke. That forced the tap. Tough night for Michelle, especially after how round one was looking. Statistically, Michelle landed 35 total and 29 significant strikes with the takedown. Compared to Amanda's 20 uh, total and significant strikes, she had a reversal and that submission attempt as well. So when we look at it, Michelle's on a two-fight losing streak. She hasn't won since September of 2020. She moves down one spot in the rankings to number 11, while Amanda starts a new winning streak and moves up three spots to number nine. I would expect that Michelle wants to be active, get this losing streak out of her out of her you know taste buds. 
Especially, you know, she looked good. She talked about the fight camp being good. How about Nina Nunez? She's higher in the rankings. That would be a good matchup. And I would love to see Lemos versus Lemos versus Tisha Torres. Come on. The striking we would see there. Let's book that shit up because we'll be tuning in. And I talked about how great some of these matchups were. The, you know, Ricky Simone, Jack Shore on paper. I don't know if stylistically, not maybe, you know, GOAT status or just overall resume. Stylistically, Yair Rodriguez, Brian Ortega, I don't know if it gets much better than that. I was expecting five rounds of bloods, guts, gore, and chaos. And round one, it looked like it was heading that way, but very anticlimactic. Uh, this felt like the Sugar Show, Pedro Munoz fight. Um, Brian was having his way, man. He was picking y Yair away. He had that shoulder pop. Yair gets the, the technical TKO by injury. And that's that. I mean, that's brutal. Yair wins. He's calling out for the title. I think they should run it back. We'll see what happens. Brian's already had soldier surgery. He might have to have it again. So we'll have to see what the injury situation is. There's even rumors. Or we'll talk about that in a second. Um, statistically, Brian landed 26 total and 22 significant strikes with a takedown in five attempts. Yair landed 48 total and 23 significant strikes of his own. Now, Brian, he's on a two-fight losing streak and hasn't won since October of 2020. He does move down one spot to number three in the rankings. Yair, he starts a new winning streak and moves up one spot to number two. So these guys are our friends, very close friends, so I doubt they run it back. I would like to see as, as a fight fan it run back. But Brian, this is tough. Shoulder surgery. He took a lot of time off after that um, loss to Holloway. He shaved his head, looked good, came back through. But he hasn't been very active. He hasn't won since October of 2020. I'm wondering where that confidence is and just the injury issues and all the shit he's dealt with. He's either going to come back and be even better or it could be just a long, depressing road for him. We'll see what happens. I, I really hope the best for him. Um, But if he does fight, I would love to see him if it's not Yair fight Calvin Cater. Stylistically, that's another great matchup. And for Yair, it's rumored he could fight in the interim title fight against Josh Emmett uh, while Volk recovers from his thumb or hand injury. I think that's the thing to do. I'm all for it. Emmett, Yair. I mean, Yair and anyone, Emmett and anyone, it's the same shit. There's just so many fun stylistic matchups in the UFC, especially bantamweight, lightweight, and the top of the featherweight division. But it was still a great fight night card. You know, I was on the lake all day when this happened. So I came back and watched it that night even because all my friends were tired out. We're in the sandbar in the sun all day. I was like, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna take a little puff. I'm going to watch the fight night. And I had a good old time, a little glass of wine. You, you, you got to love fights. If you're a real fight fan like me, th this was a great card, even though you had some bummer things happen. So what's going down Saturday? After I see Bellator in Tacoma, we get another stacked fight night card in the O2 Arena on ESPN+. Plus. The prelims start at 8 a.m. Pacific. The main card, 11 a.m. Pacific. It is ESPN+. Plus. You can't watch it. You can watch it right away on demand. I'll be practicing my golf swing, trying to get my golf game locked in. I'm going to Phoenix. I could golf damn near year-round. Um, but I'll definitely be after golf. Probably be a little too up. Probably need another puff, a little sip of something, and ha have a good old time watching the fights. Maybe have some friends over, uh, you know, grill some steaks. Who knows? 
But outside of the fights we're going to break down, there is some decent names fighting. We're not going to talk about their fights. I give you guys fights that I must watch, right? I'm out the lake. Do I watch all the fights? Not necessarily. These are the fights I must watch, but there's still some decent names that, you know, maybe it's a first-round knockout. You watch it back. If it's a three-round decision, who gives a shit? But we have Charles Rosa, Jonathan Pierce, Hi Herbert, Herbert, and Nicholas Dalby. They're fighting in the prelims. Decent fights. Not what I am mentioning here. But we are going to start in the prelims. And uh, what, a, what a prospect we get here. We have Muhammad the Punisher Makayev, 21 years old, undefeated, 7-0, taking on Charles Inerg Johnson, 31 years old, with an 11-2 record. Now, Muhammad, 21 years old. They're, they're going to slow play him a little bit, right? He is the most hyped-up prospect in the flyweight di division and has already called out everyone, even the Sugar Show. Makayev, he is undefeated, 1-0 in the UFC, and three of his seven wins are via submission. Now, Charles, this is his UFC debut. I got to slow play Makayev a little bit. They, you know, pump his brakes a little bit. Um, he's on a four-fight winning streak. He is an LFA alum and even fought and lost to Brandon Roy Vall, a legit flyweight in the LFA. And five of his 11 wins are via knockout. The odds are pretty heavy here. I don't think this is going to be the easiest fight for Mokayev. I do expect him to put on a show. I do expect him to continue to put up the flyweight ladder. For that reasoning, I'm putting Mokayev on my parlay. We marking him down. We going to EQC. And we get in that bread. Moving on. We have Mark the Bone Crusher to Casey, 29 years old with a 15 and 5 record, taking on Demir the Bosnian Bomber Hadzovic, 35 years old with a 14 and 6 record. Now we get to see the Bone Crusher, bone crusher right back in action. It's a pretty quick turnaround for him. He won a unanimous decision bout in March. So turning it up, he looked good. When we look at it, Mark trains out of ATT. It's a bunch of dogs. He's a purple belt in BJJ. He's a former champ in three previous promotions. He's on a one-fight winning streak where he recently showed off some new wrestling skills. Looked good while doing it. Uh, he didn't take any damage. He said he wanted back soon. Here he is, and he is fighting a couple months later. Six of his 15 wins are via knockout. He has fought very stiff competition in the UFC through his UFC tenure. And he does have a three-inch reach advantage in this fight. When I talk reach advantages, if it's two and a half or more, I'll bring it up. If it's less, it's, it's you know, too close to call. I might start talking leg reach, too, because that's, you know, with all these calf kicks and leg kicks, might be worth mentioning in the breakdown. Now, Demir, he is also a purple belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He is 4-4 four and four in the UFC. Seven of his 14 wins are via knockout. Now, I think Mark is going to try and show off some wrestling again. You know, like you said, take less damage, stay active. But I think there's going to be some big-time striking from both fighters, maybe an emphatic knockout potential here. But, hey, I like the Bone Crusher. I've always enjoyed him. He is in his prime. He's ready to start a new winning streak. He added to his game. I'm putting Mark on the parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. In the main card, we have Vulcan No Time Ozdemir, 32 years old with a 17 and 6 record, and the number nine next to his name, taking on 
Paul Berju Craig, 34 years old with a 16-4-1 record and the number eight next to his name. Now, this is a blast of a fight, man. It's a fun, lightweight, light heavyweight matchup. Two guys that have fought anyone who's anyone. They both want to move up in the rankings, and they're fighting primes. So a lot's, on, a lot's at stake here. I've been picking Paul of late, but here I, 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 you know, I've been back and forth, but I'm definitely going the, the Ozdemir way. When we look at the specifics, Paul definitely, you know, has a black BJJ uh, background with a black belt and BJJ. His BJJ is solid. He's got the second most submission wins in UFC light heavyweight history with six. He is on a four-fight winning streak. He did have a draw in there, so technically, in my mind, a five-fight winning streak because he had another win before that. 13 of his 16 wins are via submission, and three of his four losses are via knockout. Now, Vulcan, he's got a kickboxing background. He's an orthodox fighter. He trains at a Sanford MMA. I guess Sanford MMA is getting changed to Killcliffe MMA, so I might have to let's see what the... Google says here. I wonder if someone left that it was the original guy. Henry Hoof, Greg Jones. It was Hard Knocks 365, rebranded to Sanford in 2019 because they got a sponsorship deal with Sanford Health. I did not know that. July 2022, Killcliffe FC. I wonder if there's a sponsorship or what uh, uh, uh. our brand emerged from a Navy seal community with the idea of creating clean and natural drinks to feel the toughest and most athletes on the planet with signature drinks with Joe Rogan and Israel Ad Adesanya already in the Killcliffe arsenal. This is a natural progression for our brand. Sanford said, we are a thrilled partner with a mission-based brand like Killcliffe. Um, their trailblazing clean energy and CBD formulas are a mainstay. So even Sanford's given them uh, clout. Henry Hoof said, our track record of producing champions speaks for itself, but the gravity of the Killcliffe deal clearly takes this organization and each fighting individual to the next level. Killcliffe FC. There you go. Vulcan, he trains there. When we talk about dogs, you got ATT, you got your ATTs of the world, elevations, but golly, Killcliffe MMA is stacked. Now, Vulcan, he's a Bellator alum. He's on a two-fight losing streak. He's fought killers such as Yuri Prohashka and Magomed Ankalev in that two-fight losing streak. I mean, big names, tough losses. He was a 2017 Fighter of the Year. And 12 of his 17 wins are via knockout. Again, I've gone back and forth as much as I love Bearju. And what he's done has been very impressive lately. I just think Vulcan's a bad matchup. I think he's going to be prepared for the BJJ. I think he's just going to try to keep him at distance, outstrike him anywhere the fight goes. Paul's going to need a big-time shot. I don't see it happening. I'm putting Vulcan on the parlay. We marking him down. And we getting that bread, EQC. We coming. And this is London, London, the old two. We have Molly Meatball McCann, 32 years old with a 12 and four record, taking on Hannah, 24K Goldie with a six and two record. 
and 30 years old. Definitely going to be home field advantage for Molly, but it's going to be a tough fight. Tougher than the Vegas odds show, in my opinion. But both women, they're on the cusp of entering the rankings. A win here could put them right there. Molly, she's a purple belt in BJJ. She's a Cage Warrior alum. She's on a two-fight winning streak, and five of her 12 wins are via knockout. Hannah's on a one-fight winning streak and two and two in the UFC. I think this is going to be a fun fight anywhere it goes, but I think a lot of damage will be done on their feet. I'm taking meatball, but I am... Nope, I'm taking meatball. I'm putting her on my parlay. We marking it down, and me in the O2 arena getting that bread. <clears throat> now we have Nikita the Minor Krylov, 30 years old with a 27-9 and record and the number 11 next to his name, taking on Alexander... The Mauler, Gustafson, 35 years old with a 18 and 7 record. Now, Gustafson is an OG light heavyweight. He returns against stiff competition. We all know for, for him for his bout against John Jones. Now, Nikita is a master of sport in Kaioshin karate, hand to hand combat, and submission fighting. He's been in and out of the UFC himself. He's an M1 alum. He's on a two-fight losing streak and hasn't won since March of 2020. 11 of his 27 wins are via knockout and 15 via submission. So 26 of his 27 wins are via finish. Six of his nine losses are via submission. Gustafson, he trains out of Alliance MMA. He's a purple belt in BJJ. He's pretty much accomplished anything and everything. Um, he's even come out of retirement. He's in the fight. He has a fight in the Fight Hall of Fame against John Jones in 2013, which was also Fight of the Year. He was a 2013 International Fighter of the Year. He was a KP Cup boxing champion. He's on a three fight losing streak. 11 of his 18 wins are via knockout, and three of his seven losses are via submission. Now, as much as Gustafson has done in his career, I just don't see how he's going to win this fight after not fighting since July of 2020. He tried out heavyweight. He's been a little bit everywhere. He's still got some fucking hands. He's got the IQ. He's going to push Nikita very far. But you know what? I'm putting the minor on the fucking parlay. We marking him down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. You get Patty the baddie. Chris uh, fuck, what's the family guy? Chris Griffin at his best. Patty the Batty Pimblet, 27 years old with an 18 and 3 record, taking on Jordan the Monkey King Levitt, 27 years old with a 10 and 1 record. Now, Pat Patty's continuing his coming out party. He gets to go against Jordan, who is a very one dimensional fighter. Patty, he's got a first degree black belt in BJJ. He's a Cage Warriors alum and former champion. He's on a four-fight winning streak, 2-0 in the UFC, and eight of his 18 wins are via submission. Jordan, he's a southpaw fighter. He trains out of Syndicate MMA. He's on a two-fight winning streak. He's 4-1 in the UFC. He's a Contender Series and LFA alum, and six of his 10 wins are via submission. Now, both fighters have great ground games. 
I just don't see how Jordan's going to be able to find that submission, and I, I don't really see him winning on the feet. So I believe Patty's got the advantage here. I'm putting Chris Griffin on my parlay. We marking it down, and the O2 Arena is going to go nuts as I get that bread. Moving on, the co-main event. I was super excited to see Darren Till fight. He gets pulled out again. So who saves the day? Action Man saves the day. We have Jack the Joker Hermanson, 34 years old with a 22-7 record and the number eight next to his name, taking on Chris Action Man Curtis, the savior, the short-notice connoisseur, 35 years old with a new contract, a 29-8 record, and the number nine next to his name. Although this is short notice, I am still excited for this fight. And how can you not be excited to see Action Man back in action? I mean, he loves the short notice fights. He talked about it on the MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani, as he's one of the most active fighters in the UFC. He looks to keep moving, move up the rankings himself. And Jack, he really needs a win. If he wants to have a chance at a title run or a, the top five at 34 in his prime, He's got to make some moves. You cannot lose a short-notice fight to Action Man. I thought Till was a tougher fight, um, but this is going to be a good show. Jack, he's a cage warrior and Bellator alum. He has the most significant strikes landed in a five-round middleweight uh, bout with 148. That was against Ronaldo Souza. He's a former cage warrior champion and had two successful title defenses there. He is on a one-fight losing streak, and 11 of his 22 wins are via knockout. Now, Chris, he trains out of Syndicate MMA. He is a PFL and Dana White Contender Series alum. He was the 2021 Comeback Fighter of the Year. He's on an eight-fight winning streak. And after retirement, he's gone 3-0 in the UFC against a lot of young, very good fighters. And I've enjoyed the run that Curtis, uh, Chris has been on. I mean, I love him as a guy, but I believe Jack being in desperation mode, he's also been training for Till. I think he's going to have the advantage. I expect him to go to the wrestling well, grind out a win. Chris already knows that's the plan, but he's naturally bigger than Chris too. I think he's got the advantage. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting this bread. And then the big dogs for the main event. We get Curtis Razor Blades, 16-3 record, or the 31-year-old fighter with a 16-3 record and the number four next to his name, taking on Tom Aspinall, 29 years old, with a 12-2 record and the number six next to his name. I mean, wow, what a heavy, heavyweight matchup we get here. The O2 is going to go insane. I mean, Curtis, he's known for his wrestling, but he showed off his hands in the last fight. Golly. Tom, he knows what he's getting into. He's praised uh, Curtis, who's been in the UFC longer. Tom, he has performance of the nights in four of his last five fights. I mean, this guy has been putting on shows, and the O2 can't wait for him to put on a show here. Curtis, he trains out of Elevation Fight Team. He's a blue belt in BJJ. He was a JUCO wrestler. He went from Northern Illinois and transferred to Harper College 
where he won the national championship as a redshirt sophomore. He then entered the MMA world. He has the most takedowns in a fight in UFC heavyweight history with 14. You don't see heavyweights doing that. He's on a two-fight winning streak. 11 of his 16 wins are via knockout, and all three of his losses are also via knockout. Tom, he's a black belt in BJJ. He's on an eight-fight winning streak, 5-0 and in the UFC, and nine of his 12 wins are via knockout. Now, I think this fight is going to be straight chaos. It might not last very long. If Curtis is smart, he is going to be, or uh, he's going to go back to his wrestling. He's going to try to tire Tom out. But I just can't see Tom losing this fight. I think much like the Vulcan fight, it's a tough matchup for Blades. He's been defeated by fighters that were better strikers and had real power. Insert Tom Aspinall. That's exactly what he is. I'm going to take Tom. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. I'm feeling it. Look good. Feel good. Do fucking good. But what's up next Saturday? Not this Saturday, but the next. Another UFC pay-per-view. UFC 277 in Dallas, Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas. Rematches are always bigger. This is headlined in the rematch of Amanda Nunez and Juliana Pena. You also get the Kai Car of France title fight against Brandon Moreno. I watched the Ultimate Fighter. It was a decent season. The biggest thing for me was the, the women in the championship and, and in the, the semifinals. Uh, the young girl that's a, just a scrappy fighter. She's been kind of fun to watch. She's, she's fucking bonkers. Um, and there's some pretty talent, you know, the guys that are fighting in the heavyweight bout, are, I believe, are pretty talented. Those won't be happening in 277. They're happening at a fight night at a later date. Um, but you could tell Amanda Nunez is a fucking pit bull getting held back by one of those sharp chains, just fucking barking at Pena. But Pena's a dog, too. It's going to be a fun rematch. How about that for some fucking MMA UFC 280? I can't wait. So let's rapid fire the offseason of other sports and some MLB action. In the NBA, Contavious uh, Caldwell, Pope, KCP agreeing on a two-year $30 million deal. The Pacers put up an offer for DeAndre Ayton, four years, $133 million. I thought the Suns would let him go. You know, why did they get to this situation? Well, they matched it. Ayton is staying in Phoenix. The Spurs extend Keldon Johnson four years, $80 million. The Jazz with some moves. They signed Johnny Juzang to a two-way contract, the UCLA star. Didn't look very good in Summer League, but hey. The Jazz also hired Jason the Jet Terry to Will Hardy's staff. I'm loving the staff. I'm loving what Will Hardy's doing. Let's keep Donovan Mitchell and make a little squad. What do you say? The Jazz also signed European star Simone Fontescio. Two years, six and a quarter million. I don't know a lot about him. I'm going to have to watch some highlights and some tape. The Lakers uh, core get together AD, Russell Westbrook, and LBJ. They're agreeing to buy into each other for this season, try to make it happen for the Lake Show. That's obviously going to be interesting. The Warriors signed Jamichael Green after a buyout of, uh, from the Oklahoma City Thunder. 
Kyle Korver joins the Hawks front office. Um, a three-point legend, an NBA legend. That'll be great for the Hawks. J.J. Barea officially retiring. I didn't know he wasn't retired, but he's officially retired. And James Harden signing a two-year, $68.6 million deal with an option for the second year. It's a win-win if you're Philly. And MLB action. Otani and Nolan Ryan, the only pitchers in Angels history with 10-plus strikeouts in four straight games. I mean, Otani's got records for days, and there's many more coming. Let's see, I think I had a... Oh, in the NBA, there was Summer League action that wrapped up. Keegan Murray winning the Summer League MVP. Cam Thomas, all-team. Uh, Quentin Grimes, Sandro Mumakashvili from Milwaukee. Tari Eason, Seattle local for the Rockets. I mean, Tari Eason's looking nice. I'll tell you what. I, I thought he was a steal in the draft. I was hoping they'd get him and pa uh, Paolo having three or four Seattle boys on that team. That would have been fun. But my bad. Back to the MLB. The Angels bringing back the goose, Phil Gosselin. Uh, they put Trout on the 10-day IL. I think that was to save up room. Trout is eligible to return Saturday in their second game back. Uh, they listed him as a rib injury, though. It was supposedly just back spasms. The Angels in their injury reports, you know, it's nothing until it's something. That's what happened with Trout at the the cat with the calf last year. Fingers crossed, knock on wood, Trout's out this year. I, I can't even watch the team hardly. You have Shohei, though, but Trout should be okay. I, I, I'm positive. I'm, you know, bringing those vibes out. The Diamondbacks had signed uh, DFA Dallas Keuchel. They go and DFA him. That will probably be it for Mr. Keuchel. Trout does announce he will captain the World Baseball Classic. That's great for the Baseball Classic. Bring some attention. Hopefully he can bring some other star power with him. And then we have the All-Star Game. I got to go to T-Mobile Park. I have season tickets. Um... And I got to go in. We got to go on the field, have some on-field festivities, like catch pop flies, play catch, whatever you want to do. It's my first time really in being able to be on on the uh, field besides a firework night. They let you sit in the, you know, right by home plate. But this actually allowed you to um, be on the field, which was really cool. They gave us a barbecue with a bunch of giveaways. All the giveaways were Mariner shit, and I didn't want them, so I didn't participate in that. Um, but yeah, it was just a cool experience. You get to watch the all-star game, have a little evening. I had a good time and enjoyed myself there. Um, but let's talk about the home run derby. Seattle was loving it. This happened on Monday. You had Kyle Schwarber against Albert Pujols. Kyle Schwarber, the one seed, he goes down. Couldn't believe that Pujols... Pools couldn't believe that he won. So, uh, you know, what a, a fun thing at the end of Albert's career to be able to do, uh, get some action there. Juan Soto beats Jose Ramirez. Supposedly, Juan Soto had a fly commercial flight. Washington did not give him a flight to the home run derby. He showed up at like 2 a.m., still came in, got the job done. But fuck the Nationals. Huh? I mean, come on. Like, wh what pettiness is here? You see Juan Soto getting interviewed. People were asking about what's next, and the owners right there doesn't let them say anything. I mean, just uh, shitty franchises be doing shitty things. It is what it is. How about J-Rod? The J-Rod show becomes official. If you don't know, now you know. 
His jersey sales are probably boosting through the roof. I mean, this guy, you want to talk, you know, there was comparisons of him and Ken Griffey coming up. You want to talk about a sweet swing. This kid has got it, man. I mean, he is a future star in the making. He's a big reason why I got season tickets and enjoy actually watching non-Angels games. Uh, but he goes on, puts a show against Corey Seager. I, th I thought Corey Seager was another guy that could go far. Um, but J-Rod putting up 30 home runs, 32, I think, in the first round. I mean, golly. And then Ronald Acuna Jr. getting beat by the defending champion Pete Alonzo. A pretty underwhelming performance by both batters, especially after J-Rod set the pace. Um, I picked Ronald Acuna to win it. He did not. I, you know, it's a home run derby it is what it is. But, man, they showed videos of his pitcher throwing him pitches to this old guy. And they were like sliders, slow little dipping balls that go slow and outside. Who's going to hit home runs like that? Either way, though, Pete moved on. Julio uh, then goes on and beats Pete Alonzo, the defending champion, with another 30 banger. He puts up 32 round one, 31 round two. The fatigue, the tiredness, it was hot. I mean, it, it takes you something fierce. He must have been practicing once he knew it was a, a possible that he was going to be in the home run derby. Uh, Juan Soto then defeats Albert Pujols only by one close call, 16 to 15. And then Juan Soto barely beats um, Julio, who obviously emptied the gas tank, probably should have saved a little something, something. Um, but you're going against Pete in round two. What can you save? Uh, 19 to 18. Juan Soto uh, just shows you his value, ups his pay. See you, Washington. Get the fuck out. Making me fly commercial. Um, home run derby champion. What a sweet swing. Um, that that man's about to get 500 million, 100, maybe more money. Who's going to pay up? Got to trade for him first. Shit's wild. Um, yeah, obviously, I got to watch the all-star game. Um, in the, in the stadium, I was just more enjoy, more so enjoying the moment because I don't know, the all-star games are cool. I think it's fun to watch the first two innings, the best pitchers against the best hitters. Shohei, he says, I'm swinging first pitch, motherfucker. First pitch single gets picked off by Clayton. Nice pickoff move, um, is what it is. Uh, but Jose Ramirez went two for Juan Carlos Stan with the MVP with an insane home run, the fastest home run in an all-star game since the StatCast Derby or uh, era. Brian Buxton goes yard as well. McClanahan got beat up as the starting pitcher for the AL, but Manoa looked solid. The rest of the AL closed it up. Um, the NL was up 2-0 due to a home run by Paul Goldschmidt. Um, how about that man? He needs to get more respect. Put some respect on that man's name. Uh, he should be definitely running away with the NL MVP. Um, nobody went too far in the NL. Acuna Jr. had a double. Uh, Kershaw started the game, actually pitched pretty well, which, you know, the only reason he was starting is because it was in L.A., uh, home stadium. Uh, Sandy Alcantara looking good. And Tony Gonsolin, one of the greats for the Dodgers this year, getting beat up. Luis Castillo pitching in there. He might be getting dealt here soon as well. When we look at what's going on entering second half, there are games in action as I speak. I mean, today is Thursday. Some double headers. The Astros beating the Yankees. Potential ALCS preview. The Rangers are demolishing the Marlins. I'm sure Sandy's not pitching. Tigers A's in a little bit of action. 
But as we look at it in the standings, the Yankees 13 ahead of the Rays, clearly running away with the AL, the best record in baseball. Um, the Rays, Blue Jays, and Red Sox all right there in the wild card. Um, the uh, Red Sox are two games back. Even the Orioles are only three and a half back. The AL East is stout. AL Central, Twins two games ahead of the Guardians. Guardians making a little bit of a run, and the White Sox three games back. The Astros nine games ahead of the Mariners, 14-game winning streak. Friday sold out against the Astros, selling my tickets, making some bread um, while the while the Mariners are winning everyone, you know, the hottest ticket in town. Um, the Guardians are two and a half back of the wild card. White Sox three and a half back. All the injuries the White Sox had, they're coming. They're coming. Watch out. Um, in the NL East, the Mets are two and a half ahead of the Braves. NL Central, the Brewers a half game ahead of the Cardinals. That's going to be a down-to-the-wire affair. And the Doyers, 10 above the Giants, 12 and a half above the Padres. Or excuse me, 10 and a half, or 10 ahead of the Padres, 12 and a half above the Giants. The Giants are a half a game out of the wild card. The Cardinals and Phillies battling right there as well. This weekend, second half. Something weird about every day not having any baseball to watch. It was kind of, you know, like, what do I do? Um, but anyways, second half action. You have Orioles hosting the Yankees. The Orioles have been hot outside of the Mariners, one of the hottest teams in the league. Let's see if they can handle the Yankees. The Mets taking on the Padres. That's a huge NL battle. Red Sox, Blue Jays battling in the AL East, battling in the wild card. The Angels taking some NL action against the Braves in Atlanta. Let's see if we can do anything. Um, the White Sox uh, taking on the Guardians Friday Night Baseball, Apple TV Plus. That's a huge divisional battle. The Mariners hosting the Astros, trying to keep that winning streak alive, trying to catch the Do uh, Astros. And the Dodgers hosting the Giants. Huge, huge series this weekend. Um, last week before the all-star break, the Yankees beat the Red Sox two to one. The Rays beat the Orioles two to one. The White Sox beat the twins three to one and the Giants beat the Brewers three to one. So huge series in the second half, man. I mean, uh, we're, we're getting right back into it. Trade deadline coming. It's going to get fun. Lastly in football, Jason McCourty retires after 13 seasons. What a career for him. Ricky, Richie Incognito retires after 15 seasons. Supposedly it's official this time. Matt Berry leaving ESPN. Rumored to have him going to NBC. Huge for Matt Berry. Maybe still doing some fantasy. The 49ers okay Jimmy Garoppolo to seek a trade. I'm thinking that it's got to be the Seahawks. Maybe the uh, Giants. I, I don't know. Yesterday, Kyle Rudolph comes out of retirement, signs a one-year deal with the Bucks to play for Tom Brady since Gronk is retired. And the Cardinals given K1, Kyler Murray, Boomer, motherfucker sooner, the bag. Five years, $230.5 million with 160 guaranteed. K1 well earned. I need to build that team around him, but golly, he's a fran franchise QB. Getting better every year. And George Kirby getting the bag. 
10-year, $112.5 million extension for Georgia. Well-deserved, George Kirby. And to wrap up, we had the ESPYs last night. The Jimmy V Award for Preservance, Dickie Vitale, no surprise. Muhammad Ali Humanitarian Award, Albert Pujols. Pat Tillman Award for Service, Gretchen Evans. Arthur Ash Courage Award, Vitaly Klitschko. Sports Humanitarian Team of the Year, the Broncos. Best MMA Fighter, Charles Oliveira after an insane season. Oklahoma Softball, Jocelyn Allo with the Best College Athlete. Um, go Oklahoma, baby. Alabama, getting it for the men's Bryce Young. Best MLB player, Shohei Otani. Best NFL player, A-Rod, Aaron Rodgers. Best NBA player, Steph Curry. Best game, Chiefs beating the Bills in that overtime thriller where I lost 500 bucks. Best championship performance, Cooper Cup in the Super Bowl. Best breakthrough athlete, Eileen Gu. Best team, the Golden State Warriors. I totally disagree with that. That should have been someone else. Best athlete, women's sports, Katie Ledecky. What a stud she is in swimming. Best record-breaking performance, Steph Curry passing Ray Allen for most threes. I swear the Warriors, you know, lots of Warriors awards. That's all well-deserved. But the Warriors being the best team, come on. The best play, Megan Rapinoe's unbelievable corner kick. Best athlete in men's sports. The greatest show on earth, Shohei Otani. That's why I love watching the Angels, baby. <clears throat> I don't care about the WWE. Best Olympian in women's sports, Katie Ledecky. Best Olympian men's sports, Caleb Dressel, all swimming. Best international athlete, men's soccer, Kylan Mbappe. Best international athlete, women's soccer, Sam Kerr out of Chelsea. Best NHL player, Connor McDavid. Well-deserved. Best driver in NASCAR, Kyle Larson. Best WNBA player, Candace Parker. Best boxer, Tyson Fury. Those are all easy picks. Best comeback athlete, Clay Thompson. Best athlete, men's golf, Justin Thomas. Women's golf, Nelly Corda. Best athlete, men's tennis, you already know, Rafael Nadal. Women's tennis, Emma Raducanu. Best MLS player, Carlos Vera out of ALFC. Best women's uh, soccer league player, Ashley Hatch out of the Washington Spirit. Best men's action sport, Eli Tomac, dominant run again. Women's action sport, Eileen Gu for skiing. So the ESPYs, Shohei Otani, the Warriors are not the best team in sports. Episode 92, I'm fucking feeling good. I can't wait for the fights in 02. I can't wait for 280. If you want to feel like I'm feeling today, check out fueledsupplements.com. Save some money when doing it. Don't go to the big stores. Help small business. Promotion code buckets. We'll see you guys next week. Episode 93 right here before I head to Wyoming. Peace.